Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Pastor James Biddle and Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Remember, we are blessed to be a blessing. Honored to be in your presence, honored to be with your people. And Lord, we pray this morning we will stand more perfect and complete in all of the will of God. Lord, we hear your voice and another will not follow. Thank you, your word is living and active and it's alive. And I just pray Psalm 8110 as I open my mouth wide this morning, you fill it with your words. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. All right, we're in our series today called Why Church. I'm going to take just just a second and review. I really want to get you out of here early today. I kept you a little extra long last week, so I'm going to balance it out. So if you average my sermons, then they're a normal length. But last week was just a little bit long, but I believe the Lord is speaking to us. So we're, gonna, we're not really going to review today, but we're just going to give you just the, the groundwork in case you weren't here. We're talking about Why Church. Why do we do church? Why did God institute the church? What is the purpose of the church? Does this, is the church still relevant today? How many of you know someone in your sphere of influence who does not esteem the same value that you hold that church is still relevant, church still has a purpose? I, I work with people like that during the week. I know folks who, who just don't have the same conviction that church is still relevant. Church is still uh, has a purpose. We read, we won't take time to look at it, but First Timothy 3, we read that the church is the household of God. The church is the family of God. We are the body of Christ. And we said this, the church is not a building, it's not a place, it's a people. The church is not uh, even just an organization. It is the people of God who have been called out for a specific purpose. The Bible says that, uh, that the church of the living God is the body of Christ. Now, the, the word for church is a very interesting word. Let's pull that up so they can see it. It's the Greek word ecclesia, and ecclesia means those who have been called out, those who have been summoned to invite, those who have been called and separated. And we told you it originated from a government term. The Holy Spirit chose a term for the church that was used in ancient governments. They would elevate citizens out of the normal ranks, and they would give them authority. Those citizens would make decisions in the, in the local city. They would set the laws and the ordinances, much like our city council does today. And those that body of decision-making people was called the ecclesia. Now the Holy Spirit said, you are my ecclesia. You are the church. You are the called-out ones. We are supposed to be the voice and the authority of God in our community. We are supposed to be the voice of the kingdom of God in our family. We are the church. And so we thank God for that, and that message was brought to us over the last few weeks. We said Jesus is committed to building his church. Jesus is in the church building business. The church has two main expressions. We have what we talked about this morning. This morning we prayed for the global church, and then we are a part of the local church. We are a local assembly that is a part of the global church. And then we talked about the authority given to the church. Jesus said, I will give you the keys to the kingdom, and the gates of hell will not be able to overpower you. We've been given authority as the church, and it's not the organization. Thank God for organization, but it's the people. Would you look at your neighbor and say, you are the church. You are the church. You are the voice of authority in in God, in your community, and you are the voice of authority in Christ, in your family. We are the church, and we have a purpose And so we begin to give you a little acrostic for the word church, if you can pull that up here. The first one is C. The first plan and purpose of the church in God's eyes is to establish Christ-centered living. 
Christ-centered living. It is our job to bring the rule and reign and the supremacy of Christ to our neighborhood and to our community and to our families. How many know you can't give what you don't have? So as a church, we must never lose the, the fact that it's all about Jesus. We must, we must never lose the fact that everything we do is about Jesus and His preeminence and His supremacy. So we are called to keep everything centered on Christ. Then we begin to give you the H, and we talked about healing hands. This was a powerful session, and I'm going to pick this up later on on Wednesday nights and kind of dive into this more because I really believe there's more the Lord wants to say. I preached on it for an hour, but there's more God wants to say. We can be the healing hands in the body of Christ. When Jesus was walking the earth, how did he demonstrate God's love for people? He healed. Acts 10.38, Jesus went about healing all that were oppressed of the devil. When God sees the church, and who's the church? I'm the church. You're the church. When God sees Angie, He sees someone with a healing hand. Not just spiritual healing. Thank God for that. Not just emotional healing. Thank God for that. But I believe that God actually wants to use you to pray for those who have infirmities, who are sick, who are bound by disease. And God wants to use you as His healing hands to bring about how much God loves His body. Look at John 14, 12, just as a quick a review to set this table. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me, anyone believe in him today? If you aren't anyone who believes in him, let me see your hand. If not, we can give you an opportunity when, when the sermon's over. Amen? So anyone who believes in me will do the same works. What works do we primarily sing Jesus do? We don't want to overemphasize but we, we don't want to de-emphasize either. The primary work that we see Jesus doing in the earth is teaching and healing. If you're honest with the scriptures, yes, there's other things he did. Yes, we see him taking care of the poor, being benevolent. Yes, we see. But primarily, if you had to narrow down, pick two of the things that we see Jesus doing the most often. One is teaching the word of God, teaching the truth, and then we see Jesus healing. And so he said, the works that I do, you will do the same works. Say this with me if you can. I want you to repeat it because I want this to get in your heart. I want this to get in your spirit. Say the same works that Jesus did... I can do. The same works that Jesus did, I should do. But not only that, friends, look at the Scripture, and even greater works. Because now we have the power of the Holy Spirit released into every believer. Last week was Pentecost Sunday when we celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, coming down and, and for the first time ever living inside of the body of Christ. Jesus said, it's to my advantage that you go away, because if, that I go away, because if I go away, I send the Holy Spirit. And so I'm not going anywhere, amen? <laughs> Jesus is like, Judas, it's to your advantage if you go away. <laughs> so John 14, 12, God wants us to do greater works. Now let's look at Mark 16. This is important where we're going today. Mark 16. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. The one who's disobedient shall be condemned. That's why we pray for the unreached, ladies and gentlemen. Look at verse 17. These miraculous signs will accompany they will follow those who believe. Remember a moment ago, you raised your hand and said, I'm in anyone who believes. It doesn't say they will follow the preachers. It doesn't say they will follow the staff. It doesn't say they will follow the guys on TBN. It says they will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. It says, in my name, they can take up snakes with safety. Meaning, if you encounter a snake as you're 
preaching the gospel, as you're loving on people and fulfilling the Great Commission, not just snakes but any danger, you can have the blessing and promise of divine protection. This is not saying we should pass copperheads around in the church service, and aren't you glad? Lee is very happy for that. But as we're going, we can have the promise of protection from safety as we're obeying God. Remember a few weeks ago when Pastor Michael was preaching and he talked about he works in some neighborhoods that are high-risk and at-risk neighborhoods and, and what some may think are a little more dangerous. And he said, the safest place I can be is in the will of God. The safest place we can be is doing God's will. This is a promise he holds on to. And it says that if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them, meaning if people are attacking you for your faith in Christ, you can have the promise of protection. Notice this here. They will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. The church is called to be the healing hands. Look at verse 20 and here Mark 16. The disciples went everywhere and preached and the Lord worked with them. He confirmed the message. He confirmed it with signs and miracles following. He confirmed his word. God has a part and we have a part. And we gave you very quickly four Holy Spirit helps for healing hands. Number one is we have an assignment. Number two, we've been given authority. How many of you like alliteration? If you like alliteration, today's your day. We have some major alliteration for you. Number three is anointing. We have a power. We have an anointing. And then last, we have the attitude of Christ. So this is our helps to go out and be the healing hands of Jesus. All right, now let's jump into our new ground today. That was a pretty good review. I think that was pretty quick compared to previous reviews, so we thank God for that. All right, let's look at the you in church. Oh, I like that. There is a you in church. Unified in mission and passion. We are the church. The church that Jesus sees is unified in mission and passion. Now, I just want to take a moment and walk through a few scriptures with you today, and I believe this is going to encourage you. Now, let me just tell you that I'm not preaching this because we are divided. I believe as a pastor that you get what you preach. If you always preach on sin, you're going to get a bunch of people in your church that all they do is just sin all the time because you get what you preach. If you preach on the righteousness of God, I believe you're going to have a church full of people who understand and know they're the righteousness of God. So I'm not preaching this because we have divisions. I'm not preaching this because we're not unified in mission and passion. I'm preaching this so we stay that way. Can I have an amen? I'm preaching this so we see the value of it and we protect it. God has given us a unity. God has given us a mission and a vision, and we should protect that like gold. You know what Satan would love to happen in our church? A church split. You know why I'm preaching this? So we never have to deal with it, so we never have one. Satan would love to divide us because a house divided can't stand. You know what you are? Let me speak prophetically to you just a moment. You are a foundation. The Bible says we are living stones. You are a part of the foundation of the church that God is establishing here in this community. And Satan would love to put cracks in that foundation. Satan would love to divide you. How many of you have ever seen a house that was the foundation was failing? And the whole house was like leaning. I'm in the real estate business during the week, and I'll get pictures of homes. Somebody will send me a house, and they'll say, what do you think? And I'll be like, I think that house is about to fall down. <laughs> you see a guy leaning against a house. He's not just leaning. He's holding the thing up. I mean, it's the foundation. If you have foundation problems, it is, it is a major deal. If we have foundation problems, God can't build the type of church that he wants to build and establish in this community. So we must stay unified in mission and passion. Now look at Ephesians chapter 4. Let's look in verse 1. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Just going to give you some scriptures this morning that I think will really help you. We're going to grow together today. <laughs> Therefore, I'm a prisoner for serving the Lord. I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Wouldn't that be awesome if Christians would live a life worthy of their calling? Say this to me. Say, I have a high calling. So ladies and gentlemen, let's quit making low decisions because we have such a high calling. Let's live worthy of our calling because we've been called by God. We are not here just to play. We're not here just to have a good time. We're not even here just to fellowship. Thank God for all those things. We are called by God for a purpose. Look at verse 2. Always be humble and gentle. Man, if I could get my kids to operate in that verse half of the time, I think we would be doing well. Always be humble. Always be gentle. Be patient with each other. Ooh, it's getting quiet in this monastery this morning. Making allowance for each other's faults. I think our staff really practices this one with me. Praise God. Make allowance for each one's faults because of your love. Notice here. Humble, gentle, patient, make allowance for... How many know none of us have it all figured out? Anybody perfect in the house? Okay, I didn't think so. We fit in well together, amen? Notice this here. Be patient with others' faults because of your love. Look at verse 3. Make every effort. Now, this make every effort, I want you to focus on this. I want your eyes to go to this. Make every effort. It does not say just be casual about it. It doesn't say that if you just hope that it happens, it will. Make every effort actually in the original language means to give diligence to and exert energy. What I'm preaching today actually takes energy. What I'm preaching today actually takes effort on our part. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Look at verse 4. For there's one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and is living through all. So we're talking about being unified. Now what is unity? What does unity look like? Look at this PowerPoint for life. Unity is not sounding the same. We have pastoral meetings, Pastor Rick, Pastor Michael, we, we meet, we talk, we share ideas. He does not sound like me all the time. I do not always sound like Pastor Rick. Pastor Rick doesn't always sound like me. Sometimes we have different sounds, but we sound together. How many musicians in the house? Any musicians in the house? How many wish you could play the drums like Tom? Man, isn't that awesome? Come on, let's appreciate Tom. He's got one fan in the house. <laughs> How many of the drums make a very unique sound? And how many know Bruce, doesn't Bruce do a great job on the keyboard? Come on, encourage Bruce. The keyboard makes a, a special sound. And so they sound different. But how many know you can tell when they're playing together? You take a violin, you take a, a, a possibly even a cello, you take an oboe, you take a bassoon, you put all those together, the timpani, they all have unique, distinct sounds. But when they're sounding together in harmony, in unity, in the right timing, it's a beautiful sound of the ear. It's a masterpiece. It's a symphony. So unity does not mean that you don't have a, have a way that you express your thoughts. We don't want a bunch of little Pastor James clones, and aren't you glad there's only one of me and that's enough? And my wife said, amen. She has to live with me. But I'm not, we're not talking about just a bunch of clones, but we are talking about unified in heart, unified in spirit, unified in mission. Look at Philippians chapter 2. This is good. This is good preaching. So we can sound different, but yet we can sound together. In unity. Now look at Philippians chapter 2. 
Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? And the answer is yes. We know the answer. Any comfort from His love? Yes. Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Yes. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? The answer should be yes. Notice this here. Then make me truly happy. So notice here, Paul's writing to the church at Philippi. And he's saying encouragement doesn't make me fully happy. Comfort from His love doesn't make me fully happy. Fellowship together doesn't make me fully happy. Hearts being tender and compassionate doesn't make me fully happy. He said, make me fully happy by wholeheartedly agreeing with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Let's leave this up, Bethany. I want us to read this together. Ready? Let's read it together. Ready? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Now look at verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. I'm not here to impress. I'm here to bless. I'm not here to just impress you. I'm here to bless. <laughs> be humble. Thinking of others better than yourself. What if when we walked in the room, our job was not to just be encouraged? This church is very encouraging. We create an atmosphere of affirmation. We will always leave you lifted. But what if when we walked in the door, instead of saying, I need to be encouraged today, what if you had a, a laser sight looking for someone you could invest in, looking for someone you could encourage, looking for someone that you could prefer over yourself? This is unity in one mind, one purpose. Why is unity important? Why do we need to be together in agreement, one vision, one purpose? Look at Psalm 133. Everybody's seen this, but it's so powerful. You can't talk about unity without bringing the scripture. <laughs> Psalm 133, how wonderful and pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to live together in harmony. How many know how unpleasant it is if you are in disunity? How many know the Bible says it's better to live on the corner of a house than with a quarrelsome wife? <laughs> That's what the, it says, it's better to live with a dripping, leaky faucet than to have strife and division in your house. Amen? So how pleasant it is when we dwell in unity together. Notice this verse 2, for harmony is precious. Harmony is pre The harmony that we have together as a family is precious. You know what? I, I hear the music team say this all the time, and it's, I'm just picking on them because it's an easy thing to pick on. I hear them say all the time how awesome it is how our group gets along and how we pray for one another. We're not fighting. We're not uh, you know, arguing for solos. Uh, we're not doing any of that. How pleasant it is to get along. How awesome is it that I can get along with you and you can get along with your church family? Amen? Amen. How pleasant and precious. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head. This is Aaron in the Old Testament. Ran down his beard onto the board of his robe. Now look at verse 3. Harmony is as refreshing as Mountain Dew. <laughs> the dew from Mount Hermon. Amen? It's, it's Mountain Dew, right? That was good. I just thought of that, Chad. That's fresh off the press. <laughs> that was worth coming for right there. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion, and there the Lord has pronounced His blessing, even everlasting life. So why do we need to be in unity? Why do we need to understand the mission and vision? If you're new in this church, and you haven't yet fully uh, given yourself to this body, let me just encourage you that we are a people who want you to come, and we want to, we're, we're not standing here pushing you out. We're standing here with arms open saying, let us embrace you, let us love you, let us help you find a place to serve. Let us help you connect with family.
I love Ellie is so sweet. Come on, can we encourage Ellie? Man, I just love this lady. She moved here as a missionary from Arkansas. Thank God she got delivered from Arkansas. Praise God. Go Vols. Pick suey. She got delivered from Arkansas. And now you know what she said one day, uh, just in passing, that she, when she came here, she wanted a family. She wanted a church family. Now Ellie has a church family. Come on, amen. Because it's harmony, it's unity. We are not a dysfunctional bunch. We're not a perfect bunch. We may be a little crazy. I didn't say we're not crazy, but we're not dysfunctional. But how precious it is. Now look at this. Why is unity important? Here we go. All my folks that like alliteration, check out the next screen. If you like alliteration, you're going to love this. Five upsides to unity. Amen. Here we go. Number one, it's wonderful and pleasant. Number two, there's an anointing in unity. Now, anointing is a fancy church word. That means God's power is available. God's power is there. So where, where is God's power in the church body? Is it in the place of unity? So there is no anointing. There is no power in a place of disunity, a place of disharmony. It doesn't mean we cannot disagree. We can disagree. But we can even in our disagreements, we can do it in unity. We can still prefer others above ourselves. We can agree to disagree agreeably. Can I have an amen? You can disagree, just do it agreeably. That's what I'm teaching my kids. My children may not agree with everything that me and their lovely mother do, but they can disagree in the right heart and the right attitude, and they can disagree agreeably. Amen? So notice this here. It brings refreshing. It's as refreshing as Mountain Dew. You'll never forget that. Every time you read that scripture, you're going to think about that. Number four, Joseph, I love this one. In unity in a body, there's the place of commanded blessing. There's a commanded blessing in harmony and unity. Number five, it said leading to everlasting life. People will be reached around the world because our church is a unified body in mind and spirit and mission. People will come to know Christ as their Savior because we can get along with one another. Amen? What a powerful testimony in the Scriptures. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.10. 1 Corinthians 1.10 declares this, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters. This was very important to the early church. You see all these passages? Why was it so important? Because a house divided can't stand. They were the foundation for what God wanted to do in the earth. We are the foundation for what God wants to do in our community. Notice this here. He says, I appeal to you. That's the highest form of appeal. I'm appealing to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought, and purpose. Ladies and gentlemen, the price is far too high for us to pay to let any divisions come among us. We must settle our differences quickly. We must trust that God is leading us. And we must stay on the same page, unified in mind and thought. Can I have a big amen? All right, now let's go on to the next one, number R, letter R. <laughs> you didn't catch that, did you? The church God sees radically reaches the lost. Now, how many of you have ever heard that said in church before? So I want to show you something new that maybe you haven't seen. And we'll turn this differently. Because we, we have a problem in America, TC, where we want the guy that we pay to preach to us on Sunday to reach the lost. Pastor, I pay my tithe, and the church pays you and the staff, and so you go out and win all these people to Jesus. And we have made professional clergy, which I'm not against professional clergy, 
but we have made professional clergy the doers of the Great Commission, the doers of mission. Well, I'm going to put my money in the offering plate, and they're going to send money to missionaries, and the missionaries are going to reach people for Christ. Please, please continue to put your money in the offering plate. Please continue to give to missions. But we cannot, this, this is one assignment, ladies and gentlemen, that we cannot delegate and we cannot relegate. I'm responsible for this. Brooke is responsible for this. Jim is responsible for this. We collectively as a body, we're responsible for this. I cannot delegate away my obligation to reach people who are lost and far from Christ. So let's travel through this here. I'm going to give you seven earmarks of evangelism. I knew you would like alliteration this morning, so we have peppered the sermon with it. Seven earmarks for evangelism. Are you ready? Number one, we must all pray. We must all pray. We must all pray. It is our responsibility to pray for those who are far away from Christ, to pray that God will lead us. We, we must all pray that God will open doors for us to reach people who are far away from Christ. And we're going to share some things along these lines. It really Evangelism really happens out of relationship. Yes, I've been to Nicaragua where we've had 10,000 plus in a crusade and we've preached and had hundreds come down to receive Christ. Those are great, but that is a very, very small percentage of people who find Christ. Thank God for that. Luis has seen those in his country. Thank God for those meetings. Thank God for everybody that came down in the Billy Graham crusades and gave their life to Christ. Thank God for that. But most people, I would dare say 90 plus percent, maybe more, I don't know the stats, but I would at least say 90%, maybe 95% of everybody who accepts Christ does it because of personal relationship. That's how Jesus led his followers to himself. So we must all pray. Look at Luke 19.10. Luke chapter 19 and 10 gives us the mission of Jesus. Now, are we the body of Christ? Is Christ the head of the church? Should the body go where the head goes? How many of you have ever had your head go this way, but your body trying to go this way? I mean, that's called whiplash. That's called chiropractic appointment, amen? I mean, it doesn't work. The body goes where the head goes. Where is the head going? Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which are lost. That's the direction of the head. We would do well as the body to get on board with where the head is going. We must all... Pray. Number two, we must all go. The Bible says go into all the world. We think New Guinea or we think Africa or we think going to France or Paris. And those are all great. This means go to your world. You have a world that you live in. Joyce, you live in a world that I don't live in. You have a neighborhood that I don't live in. You have folks that you work with at your office that I don't live in. My students in the house, you live in a world that I do not live in. I cannot enter your world of the school and proclaim Jesus like you can. You live in a world with your family. I may never have access to your family, but you have access to them. Go into your world. We must all go. Not just the pastors, not just the clergy. We must all go. Go across the hallway, go across the street, we must all go. Heard a story of uh, T.L. Osborne, great soul winner, evangelist, tremendous soul winner. He's went on to be with the Lord now some years ago, but he was having a, a class on soul winning, and there was a couple in his church there in the church, and they came up and said, you know, Brother Osborne, we have such a heart for Vietnam. We, we want to go to Vietnam. God's put Vietnam on our heart, but we don't have any money. We don't have any finances. Would you pray that God would open the door for us to go to Vietnam? 
He said, well, I'm not going to pray that, and I'm going to tell you why. He said, he said, because we have a number of local Vietnamese restaurants right here in our city. He said, I want you to go and develop a relationship with those people. I want you to go and begin to eat there, leave a really big tip just to begin to meet the people, love on them. He said, you have a, you have a mission field to Vietnam right here in our city. Not saying God won't open the door for you to go to foreign soil. Some of you will never step foot on foreign soil. But if you have a heart for Indian people, go eat in an Indian restaurant once a week and meet the people and love the people and be real and genuine and authentic and leave a good tip. Can I have an amen from all the servers in the house? We don't have to look for the spectacular to see the spiritual. We can see the spiritual. Pastor Michael and Kenji are tremendous testimony of this they had a heart for missions and still do and God is using them in their own back door not to say what's happening in Africa is not important what's happening in Haiti is not important but you can do missions in your own back door we must all go number three we can all give some of you may never go on a mission trip but you can sure send those who are so we can all give number four all believers are called to win souls it's not optional Look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4. I love this passage. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus says, I'm going to give you mission. He tells his disciples, I'm going to give you purpose. Ed Stetzer, one of the great church planning strategists with Lifeway Research, says this, taking on the posture and mindset of a missionary or doing missions right where you are without leaving your zip code. That's living on mission. Look at Matthew 4.19. Jesus called out to them. He said, come and follow me. Come and follow me and I will show you. I will make you a fisher of men. I will show you how to fish for people. They were out fishing for fish. And Jesus said, you follow me and I will make. It's a progress. There's a procession there. He said, I will make you fish for people. I will help you fish for men. Write this down if you're taking notes. Ready? Evangelism is not an event. It is a lifestyle. Evangelism is not an event. It is a lifestyle. Matter of fact, living on mission, living as a fisher of men, evangelism is not even the, the goal per se. It is the byproduct of living on mission, living missional, being fishers of men. People will just be drawn to Christ through your walk with God. It's a byproduct. So how? Look at number five. How? How do we do this? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me give you four facets to fish for men. Amen? You like that? Subpoints under the subpoints. How many of you think we crossed the line there? <laughs> Let me give you four facets to fish for men. Real quick, number one, intentionally connect with those far from Christ. Now, the next point only has 32 subpoints, okay? So don't panic. Intentionally connect with those far from Christ. What does that look like? Intentionally connect with those who are far from Christ. Let me say this in a, in, a, in a kind way because I've been guilty of this. But we like to live in our little Christian bubble. Drive my little Christian car with my bumper sticker on it. Man, I saw somebody mean and rude in traffic the other day and the dude had a Jesus fish. I wanted to jump out and rip that thing off his truck, but I thought, he, this guy's kind of mean, so I might not. He might not be operating in the fruits of the Spirit if I were to rip that bumper sticker up but he was, I was like seriously I told the guy I was with I, it, was, it was a guy at the office I wrote I said I bet this guy he's different I said I bet he's got a Christian bumper sticker on his deal I just called it Chad I called it and he got up there and he had the little fish follow me to heaven yeah, I'm about to help you get there praise God <laughs> in Jesus name 
I was trying to intentionally connect with people that were far from Christ. What does this look like? We like to live in our little Christian bubble with our little Christian bumper sticker. We have all of our Christian friends. Thank God for Christian friends. But we never connect with folks who are far away from Christ. When is the last time I connected with someone who was far away from Christ with the express purpose and intent of befriending them so I could share my Jesus with them? Folks, maybe it's been a while. Maybe never. How about this? To catch fish, you have to go to the pond. We must intentionally connect with people. One thing I love about Pastor Rick that he does, and I wish I could do it as well as he does it and as smooth as he does it, but when he goes to a restaurant, he tells the server, hey, we're about to pray for our food. Is there anything we can pray with you about? He does it, I won't say 100% of the time, but most of the time I'm with him. Even if it's just me and him at lunch somewhere, he'll do it. And we've had some great conversations and some great prayers and some real heartfelt needs expressed because he said, hey, we're going to pray for our food. Is there anything we can pray with you about? And if you do that over and over and over again, connecting, connecting, eventually they're going to see that in that heart. God will lead you into a relationship with that person. You must intentionally connect with those who are far from Christ. The next one here is intentionally caring and compassionate. We live in a society where it's easy to be jaded because people take advantage of the system. How many of you have ever been taken advantage of? I'll never forget one time I stopped and offered to buy a lady food. She's on the side of the road with a little sign. And I like went out of my way and I like went down to Burger King and I was like, I'm going to get something, you know, and I'm going to get this lady some food. And I took it to her and I, I felt so good that I was obeying the Lord. And, and I was like, I'll help you. I'll drive you anywhere, you know, take you wherever, call your family. And, and then like the next day I saw her at another exit in town and I was like, she was just playing the system. And again, I'm not telling you not to help people that do that. God may lead you and have compassion, but it's so easy to be jaded because of people abuse generosity. Nonetheless, I'm still called to be caring, and I'm still called to be intentional. Do you know, even after the resurrection, Jesus cooked fish for his disciples? Read it in John 21. He was caring and compassionate. People don't want to care how much you know until they know how much you care. Tommy Barnett says that. This is not just a social help or a social gospel, but we must oftentimes touch a need before we can touch the heart. We must touch a need before God can allow us to touch a heart. The, the great missionary to Calcutta, India, um, the Buntains, they showed up in the, the Assemblies of God people who were great people, great missionaries, but this was way, way, way back when there was nothing called compassion evangelism. Compassion evangelism was not a thing. And they said, Mr. Buntain, we want you to go set up a tent. And we want you to preach to these people in India, and we want you to get them saved. So he showed up, and there was nobody there. And he went around to the villages, and they said, Why did y'all not want to come to our crusade? And they said, he said, We cannot believe your God on an empty stomach. They said, You feed our stomachs, and we will listen about your Jesus. And they began the first compassionate outreach ministry, and now Calcutta, India has been totally changed. They have thousands of people come to their feeding programs, thousands of people in their hospitals, a free hospital. Thousands of people have given their life to Christ because he said, you feed our stomachs and we'll listen about your Jesus. We must never forget to be intentional about caring and compassionate. We must be consistent in character. You know what my best witness is? My character. The best witness that you have that Jesus is alive and that He's changed your life is by the way you live. What does your character say? Would your office, would your neighborhood be shocked if they found out you were a Christian? Would they be shocked if they found out you were a believer in Christ? Well, I didn't know that. I, would they be shocked? 
because of our character. This is about developing relationships. The last one is intentionally cast the net. Not only is it enough to connect and be concerning and, and compassionate and consistent, but you must eventually cast the net. One, one area the church has missed it in is we don't give people a chance to respond. When God has given you a relationship with someone, you keep putting yourself in front of them. Write their name down. Make people feel valued and special. And when God gives you that relationship, stay in front of that. Stay connected to that. And at some point, God will lead you in a chance to ask them to come to church or ask them if you can pray with them or ask them if they would like to encounter the Jesus that you know. At some point, we have to cast the net. We have to give folks a chance to respond. Look at number six. The sixth earmark for evangelism is the Great Commission gives us purpose. It gave the disciples purpose. This great commission gives all of us meaning and gives all of us purpose. Last one, number seven, as we close with this. I put this here on purpose. Depend on the Holy Spirit to help you and make up for your weakness. This is where I want to leave you today. We're talking about being intentional. We're talking about praying and going and giving. We're all called to lead people to Christ. We're all called to fish for men. We're, we're all called to live in this purpose that God gave the disciples. But here we go. We, we feel like we are weak. How many of you would be honest and say, when it comes to sharing my faith, when it comes to this relational evangelism, casting the net, I feel inadequate, I feel unprepared, and I feel weak. This is a weakness. How many of you would be honest and say, that's me? Ladies and gentlemen, we have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to make up where we are weak, where we are deficient. Look at Acts 1.8. Let me just read you these scriptures to burn them in your heart this morning. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witness. God never called you to go witness. He called you to be a witness. Witnessing and evangelism is more about who you are than what you can say. Words are important, but it's more about our lifestyle. Look at Romans 15 verse 18. Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done in me, bringing Gentiles to God through my message by the way that I worked among them. Look in verse 19, Romans 15, 19. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. In this way I fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way in the region. So Paul did three things here. He, he had the right words. He had the right message. He had the right deeds. And then God supernaturally made up his deficiencies and he ministered to people with signs and wonders. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, The kingdom of God is not just words. The kingdom of God is not just talk, but it is power. So we're going to close with this last scripture. I'll make this simple. You ready? I'm going to sum this up for you. Romans 15. This is, this is how we radically reach people for the Lord. Remember, this is not the church as an organization. We are the church. Check out these scriptures. This is going to bless you so much as we close this out today. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Look in verse 10. Love each other with genuine affection. Romans 12, you're right. I said 15, but it's 12. You're right. They were panicking back there. No, you're right. Love each other with genuine affection. 
take delight in honoring each other. You know why we can honor Servant Leader of the Month and why we can honor our veterans? and Because we take delight in honoring one another. This is how we make it simple, ladies and gentlemen. Look at verse 11. This is so simple. Never be lazy. But work hard to serve the Lord enthusiastically. Where is your enthusiasm level for serving God? Where is your enthusiasm level for serving the church, which is the body? Where is your enthusiasm level for reaching the lost for Christ? Never be lazy. Work hard. Serve the Lord enthusiastically. Verse 12. Rejoice in our hope. Be patient in trouble. And keep on praying. When God's people are in need... Be ready to help. When we have students that can't afford the full tuition to go to camp, be ready to help. When our college missionaries need something, we should be ready to help. Not one time has the Chi Alpha missionaries asked us as a church for anything that they needed, and we were not able to meet that need. Come on, can we give God thanks? We are one of the smaller churches in this city, but we're the first one that they call. And I love it. 2012, I stood right here on this stage. God had just sent us here. And I prophetically said to just a handful of people that God was going to use this body and this church to resource ministries and missionaries all over the world. Now every single month, we send support to 29 different ministries and missionaries. Come on, can we give God thanks? We are called to resource Always be ready to help them. Pastor Michael calls, Kitco needs something. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. We'll figure out how we pay for it later. Amen? Let's just be ready and eager to help. Notice this here. Always be eager to practice hospitality. I think Angie has that one down, don't you? Yeah, that's, that's worth clapping for. Now's where it gets quiet. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them back. Now, this is persecute. That's for the gospel's sake. It's not because you're a jerk. This is because they're persecuting you because you're a believer. Notice this here. Pray that God will bless them. Verse 15, be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Man, the Lord showed me something here powerful, BJ. Why would God admonish the church, I love this. Oh, this is so powerful. To not be so proud you can't hang out with ordinary people. Because when I'm a part of the church, God takes his extra, puts it on my ordinary. I am no ordinary person. He's writing to the church who is extraordinary. God puts his extra on my ordinary. So Paul says, don't be so proud of what God's doing in your life that you can't hang out with ordinary people, i.e. those who are not in the church, those who are not a part of the body of Christ. Because God's taking His extra. He's put it on my ordinary. I'm no longer ordinary. Amen. Live in harmony. Don't be too proud. Look at verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil. Do things in such a way that everyone... This is how we do it. This is how we radically reach the lost. This is our character, Meshach. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. We've lost that in the church, ladies and gentlemen. Verse 18 as we close. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, the church that Jesus sees is a unified church. The church that Jesus sees radically reaches the lost. We do it through relationships. We do it through intentionality, compassion, caring. 
Write that down in Romans 12. Powerful set of scriptures, which is going to live and we're going to be. Say this to me. Say, I will be a witness. Father, thank you for your word. We love you. Thank you that you're causing it to grow and bear much fruit. And I bind every devil that would come and steal it. And Lord, I just pray in the name of Jesus that these words that are in my heart today will go forth with power and that they will bear much, much, much fruit. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray right now for those in this house that may not be in fellowship with you. Lord, I pray this morning they will turn their heart and surrender to you. If you would like to receive prayer this morning to make Jesus the Lord of your life, if you need to recommit your life to Christ this morning, if you want to reaffirm your walk with God and you say, Pastor, I just need prayer. I came today hoping you'd give me a chance. I, I want to take a step back towards God. If that's you and I can pray with you, would you just slip up your hand this morning? Anybody in the room? Say, I want to re-surrender my life to Christ this morning. Amen. Well, Lord, I pray for every believer in this house that we will take this charge and we will lead the way as your church. We will radically care for those who are lost and hurting and we'll be unified. We'll be your healing hands and we will, we will have a Christ-centered life. We thank you for it in Jesus' name.